Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays, and sitting across from me is Jay Jones. Hello. And we are back. <laughs> we are back. We're back. So before... <laughs> I'm going to embarrass him, but he doesn't. He doesn't have a camera on him anyway. So before we got started, Larry said, "How many uh, how many mistakes do you think we're going to make before we <laughs> before we get this?" So far, the answer is two. Yeah, yeah we had to start over two times. We've forgotten how to use all our equipment. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's been two months. Took a summer break. Yeah, um, just to kind of rest. We've been pumping these out. For yeah. what three years now? Um, a little over. I guess, yeah. Well, well maybe just two. Uh, two. About two, two and a half. Yeah. About two and a half. So years. we're on our two hundredth episode, though. I mean, yeah. that's that's a pretty significant amount of pod, uh, podcast content, right? You know. Yeah. So two hundred. Well, the two hundredth episode will be this Friday, free for all Friday. The two hundredth episode. So come back for that. No telling what we'll do. Well. <sighs> Now that you said that it's the 200th episode, we're going to have to do something really good. Yeah, I think so. We can't uh, we can't be churning out maybe we this, just me- do a, this mediocre content. Maybe, maybe we just do uh, a, a, a recap. We call it the Summer of Madness. Because there were so did, many things it, that happened did, this did summer. Did anything happen? Did, oh, my gosh. Did something happen this summer, Jay? <laughs> there were so many things that happened this summer. <laughs> there were so many times that I, I told you, we really need to do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the summer of madness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get into it. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness came out, mm. but maybe it was a real thing and we just live in that world. We're just That's what I thought. Cuz everything was crazy. Uh-huh. So many crazy things this summer. Right. Yeah. Mm. But it's all the same. There's nothing new, George. <laughs> <laughs> nothing new. Uh well, um I guess we can just get right into it. Okay. What do you think? Sure. Got anything to to add? Texture of Tuesday really? time. <laughs> no. I've got a friend uh, in uh, in Kentucky, and our break actually gave her a chance to catch up uh-huh. on the podcast. She's all caught up. Oh wow, that's a lot of listening. Yeah, she was uh, she was still listening to Habakkuk. Okay. But um, all caught up now. She's all caught up. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Somebody did somebody write in and say we need to uh, get a picture or something of of uh you know how they have the Habakkuk pictures where it's like I'm gonna do a new thing that you wouldn't believe if you were told. Did somebody write us? I can't remember. So many things happened. They're like, you need to get a picture of that in the podcast and have it be skulls and <laughs> smoke and burning buildings and have it hung up in there. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I I don't remember who said that. I don't know. A lot has happened. Mm. Yeah, had had somebody uh, message us and check up on us mm-hmm. because uh, we didn't have any new podcasts. I guess he was afraid that we'd died or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Well, we're back. Uh, this is uh, we're off to a great start too. <laughs> it's, yeah. This is really this is really quality stuff, Jay. That we're you gotta warm, that we got. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> we get, got here. <laughs> you gotta you gotta get going. You gotta. It's like you know you gotta. Start off on a low like walk to get warmed up, uh-huh. and then you can start jogging. Okay, all right. 
So we're back for Text Driven Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. And it's Ecclesiastes. Yeah, so we're starting uh, We're starting the book of Ecclesiastes. You started mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday preaching through this. And you, you've been preparing for this for, what, three months? Yeah, I've been reading, reading, studying, trying to outline the book, stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a book some people say can't be outlined. That's encouraging, <laughs> right? Isn't yeah. that what you just love to see? Oh, yeah, you open up commentary and... This book cannot be outlined. Right. And everyone does a different one, and mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, maybe it's true. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't do this. What am I doing? That well, thought crossed my mind a few times. You, uh... <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, so this was, this was kind of a challenge um, that a few guys issued to you to see if you would do it. What, 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 what finally made you say, all right, I'm going to do Ecclesiastes because you were really on the fence for a while. What, what else were you thinking about doing? Uh, just a variety of things. I mean, you know, I always, I want to do Romans eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to preach the rest of John's content, mm-hmm. all of it. Cause I, you know, God did the gospel of John, but, yeah. um, Part of it is the that people that no one just preaches. No one preaches the book. Yeah. So I've found that to be like something that say like mm, maybe I just maybe I need to try and do it. Like, not really any of my heroes that I, I preached through it. Yeah, I knew where you were going as soon as you said uh, you were going to turn to. Calvin's commentaries because he's yeah. he's usually like the like, he's the guy right. I'm like Calvin, he's the man. Calvin's got my back, you know. Yeah, I, I know exactly where that was going uh, when you yeah. said that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because he didn't write anything. He didn't write anything. I'm like, oh, it man. was the same with uh, it was the same with judges. I was like, oh, I'm gonna see what what Calvin wrote about judges. He didn't write anything about judges. Mm-hmm. Because usually what will happen is like I've said before is everybody rips Calvin off in their commentaries. Yeah. They just rehash it in some way because yeah. he's like apparently some genius. It's like God just like, hey, you want a super genius? And then everyone just borrows from him. Right. Well, he's the guy that did it when he didn't have anything else to fall back on. I mean, he yeah. had the early church fathers, but he didn't really have – he didn't have any contemporary commentaries that he could um, – mm-hmm. you know, scholarly works that he right. could appeal to. He was just doing the work himself. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, he didn't do uh, he didn't do anything on Ecclesiastes, and I yeah thought yeah. that was pretty funny that you you mentioned that yeah. So you you may be able to find a couple of like the people that you like to listen to, maybe do one or two here or there, but mm-hmm. most most not right. most haven't. Yeah. You know? So uh, there's that, and part of it's just the like I said, like oh, this is in God's word, like it's right. Maybe part of it is too. I just like a challenge. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, off to a good start. Um, so you looked at uh, the first 11 verses mm-hmm. um, yesterday. Right. And uh, I'm going to try to read my notes. I, I I thought the sermon was so good that I was going to write in my Bible mm-hmm. your your points. Um, but yesterday, I'm, I must have gotten shampoo in my eye. Oh, no. In my left eye. And it was burning. Um all day yesterday. <laughs> Your eye still kind of looks... My eye still is not feeling great. It feels yeah. a lot better than it did yesterday. Um, yesterday, I just wanted to keep it closed. George, you use some potent shampoo, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what the deal was. It's never... I've never had this happen before. So anyway, um, mm. I, I was trying to um, 
just get through a basic outline so that we could talk okay. about it today. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was, I thought your outline was, was very clear, very helpful. I, I saw it all in the text. Um, I'm, I, I'm going to go back and probably write some stuff actually in my Bible to help me. Um, and, uh, but I wasn't able to do it yesterday because I ah. could barely, <laughs> barely, <laughs> I, could barely I could barely do anything yesterday. <laughs> and of course, yesterday was the day I was, I was teaching a exploring membership class and then I was doing confession of sin and, yeah, I, yeah. Ha- and I had to do scripture reading, which we're starting yeah. the book of Matthew. And then you have community and group Philip, too? Philip gave me the genealogy to read through. So uh-huh. I was reading through the genealogy and trying to keep my eyes open so I could... <laughs> So I could yeah. see what I was reading. No, no, no community group okay. yesterday. I, I went home and rested your eye. I, I ran out of the church. You, you should go try to rinse it out. And just put it under the faucet. Turn the faucet on. Just let yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I've that water. Oh, I've, I've I've done I've done it all. I've done all of it. Mm. Um, it does feel a lot better. I, I can I can see. It's not like I'm. It's not like I can't see out of it. Uh, just a little irritated. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I thought it was a good outline. I thought we're off to a. I think we're off to a good start. But um, before before we read the 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 text, mm. um, there's a couple of things, preliminary things that are good for us to know before we actually hear the word. So first is um, this is a different genre mm-hmm. than. I mean, you you did uh, the Gospel of John. You did Prophet Habakkuk. Now mm. you're going to Ecclesiastes. What uh, what is the genre of Ecclesiastes, and what is is that what makes it so challenging? Yeah, it's so it's wisdom literature, and um, wisdom literature kind of is presented. I mean, I mean it, it, it's what it is. You're trying to gain wisdom. So, how can I learn knowledge and wisdom to about God's world and how to live in God's world? And it gives you kind of general principles of what will happen in God's world. So if I live according to God's ways in God's world, pretend pretend God is like a computer engineer, right? And he's written this code and things are to function a certain way. Well, if I step outside that code, the computer like breaks. Right. So this is wisdom literature. And it's in principle, like it's in general. Now Ecclesiastes is interesting because like so... Uh, Proverbs is wisdom literature as well, which is probably the one people are most familiar with. You got Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Um, you're probably most familiar with Proverbs if you're listening. So Proverbs will say things like, uh, "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it." Everybody's like favorite parenting verse, right? Right. Right. Ecclesiastes will say, "Train <clears throat> up your child in the way he should go," and and uh, yeah, it might happen. It might work. But also he might uh, he might rebel and bring shame to your family. Right. Like he's the guy who's like, yeah, but like that's <laughs> like that's that's what I feel like Ecclesiastes does. Yeah, he give, he'll give you a lot of the exceptions. Okay, uh, so you'll um, one guy said Ecclesiastes is like a holy skepticism. Mm. Um, he doesn't want you to be skeptical of God. I think it will see this will come up as we move through. He wants you to be skeptical of the world. And if people if people try to give you like certainties about the way things will always go in the world. Okay. Um and it as we'll see that's meant to do something to you. Okay. Um so interesting who who wrote 
Ecclesiastes. So people debate this all the time today. If you read or listen to modern people today, they'll get into this whole debate about who wrote it. I just take it at face value. Verse 1 says, this is the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. That only fits one person, that fits Solomon. Okay. And that's been the interpretation of pretty much everyone in church history till modern times. Okay. So I would take that. Especially, you know, we come from the Reformed tradition, and so coming out of the Protestant Reformation, this is a view of everybody. Yeah. You know, we have been handed down some things that are just so obvious it seems silly to even explore something else. Is it uh, is it the rise of text criticism that that causes people to say this is somebody else because right. it, it couldn't be mm-hmm. Solomon? Right. Is yeah, that is that what it. it is? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same type of people that would say Habakkuk obviously couldn't have been mm-hmm. written when you claim it is because it actually predicts predicts what happened, mm-hmm. and we know nobody can predict what happens. Right. You know, this is the type of did uh, stuff. You're were, were there any other options given? Was it kind of like a, a oh, there's a, a lot of gr- a group, a group of people, a group yeah. of people. Yeah. Um, uh, one is that much later somebody would write as if he's Solomon. Okay, and he says, but. He knows that every not everyone will know that it's you know he's not actually claiming to be Solomon. <laughs> he's just writing as if he's Solomon, so uh-huh. we can learn the stories, the right. lessons of Solomon. Yeah, you know, there's no evidence of that uh-huh. that came out of some dude's mind. Right. Um. And so, I just take it for what it says. I mean, gotcha. call me crazy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. Right. Right. Um, okay, so Solomon's writing this. Solomon is uh, he's the wisest man who ever lived mm-hmm. uh, apart from Jesus. Right. right? Um, why why did he write this? What why is this in the Bible? You you started you started the the sermon with that question. Why right. is this in the Bible? What <laughs> what business does this have to do uh, in the Bible? Well, I think that that is the question. I think if people are honest. Uh, you'll read Ecclesiastes and you'll just go. You come away with like, Man, this is really weird. Yeah, it's got it says some strange things. And there's things in here that are said that really aren't said anywhere else in the Bible. Like, uh, I hate life. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and uh, so you kind of struggle with is is the, are these is this inspired? Is this inspired by God? And you mm-hmm. got Solomon saying he hates life. Right. Um, and then you know, one that's really interesting is um a dead man's happier than a live man Mm. uh, but better than happier than both are is the one who's never been born and i'm summarizing that but you can read this stuff and you're like this is some this is interesting and like weird i don't know how i feel about this (laughs) but somehow as you read through it i think people feel as if it speaks directly to them Mm. you know what i mean so so you're kind of torn but people will go to it. Even people that aren't aren't um, maybe believers will go to it. We've had a friend before, and you know, we ask him like, "What are you re- What are you reading?" Like, "Oh, I just started reading Ecclesiastes." Like, "What? Like, you don't even you don't go to church. You don't read the Bible. Mm. That's the book that you were drawn to." Yeah, it's strange. Right. So we kind of grapple with this book, and it's difficult, and it says strange things, but yet somehow it does actually minister to you. I think I think it really does. You'll read it, and you'll a God God through the Spirit actually does minister to you. And but we don't know what to do with it, so we don't visit it that often. It's kind of a neglected book of the Bible. Yeah. 
you know you uh, you said something that i i thought was really great you said that this is probably one of the most evangelistic mm-hmm. books right. in the bible that gets to to the purpose yeah and at first you may not get it you're like how could this be an evangelistic book but i think that's actually what the whole book is mm-hmm. well there are portions of it as we'll see that are wisdom literature like more more in line with a traditional wisdom literature where he's telling you some very practically good things and there are so there are those elements of it but even that serves as in the general scheme of things the general thrust thrust of it is like an evangelistic mm. bent um and we don't often think about that, but I think when you really get it, you'll you'll see it. Yeah. Um, and what he's doing, what Solomon does, is he examines the key word is life under the sun. It's repeatedly it repeatedly comes up. So he's examining what is life like here in the material world on a horizontal level. And that's really the key to understanding the book, isn't it? Uh-huh. This this phrase under the sun, right? Because when people, I mean, we're we're going to read it in just a second, and it's people look at it and they're like this is a real downer <laughs> right but i right. think once you once you understand that under the sun is the key the the key phrase that mm-hmm. um it unlocks the meaning of the book for us right yeah there are repeated phrases that are used all throughout here vanity obviously we'll talk about that in a second mm-hmm. um chasing the wind but life under the sun so life under the sun today we call that secular materialism because you know we have philosophers and things, and we're right. advanced, but uh, Solomon calls that life under the sun. Here's what life is like if you live life apart from God. Like you live like all there is is what's in front of you in the material world. We call it the horizontal plane. Yeah. Um, it, it could be an atheist or an agnostic, or it could just be somebody who lives their life with little to no regard to God whatsoever. God's yeah. like an afterthought. You know what I mean? Yeah. They could they could be someone who believes that there is a God, or maybe even someone today in our world that would identify as a Christian, you know, because at one time at church, they gave their life to Christ, and but they live their life as if he has nothing to do with it. They live in the horizontal plane, right. life under the sun, with little to no regard to God whatsoever. And Solomon says, all right, we're going to take a trip, and I'm going to explain and expose to you completely what life is like in the material world, lived as if God's not important at all. Okay. And so it is a downer, yeah. because he's really honest about it, and people usually don't go. They don't go those places. Yeah. They live like in illusion. Though we know it. Yeah. Like we know, we know that what he's saying is true. Yeah. We just don't like to think about it. Yeah, they live, they live their life, they pretend, you're playing a pretend game, mm-hmm. as if your life actually has real meaning and real value. Yeah. Um, nobody lives consistently with this. If you do, I mean, you're going to go to some really depressing, dark places. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, we have we have some church members. Their son um, actually repented and trusted in Christ after reading Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Yeah. He's right. That's right. Because he he saw it for what it was. Like mm-hmm. he 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 understood the book. And he said, "This is this is me." Yeah, he was like, "This how's this how does this uh, book know about me?" Right. And he's like, <laughs> like he's like said went to one of his friends like, you "Read this." Like, yeah. He's talking about like uh-huh. your life, like how, how. Right. And that's you know that's 
one of the things I think that becomes a reality is that this book is timelessly relevant. All the all the Bible's timelessly relevant, but cross-culturally timelessly relevant because it's just so interesting that God has given a book that so exposes most most of the Bible is very very we'll say theocentric to use a theological term, okay. right? It's God-centric. This book is very man-centric. Okay. Like it's like I'll give you a book that's going to explore the darkest recesses of your being. Right. The things you don't ever talk to anybody about. I'm going to give you a book that's going to put it on page exactly what you think and what you feel. Yeah. When you just are it's just you alone with your thoughts. Okay. And so uh you know the 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 Roman senator could stumble back at you know 3000 2000 years ago could read this doesn't know who Yahweh is, doesn't know about the covenants. You know, doesn't know anything about Hebrew culture. He could read this book and go, "This book just like how does how does how does God this God of this Bible know me?" Mm. And the same thing would happen today to anybody, yeah. like like our like our member son or you know a Hollywood, some rich Hollywood guy could read this book and he could be like, "This book describes my life." Right. How? Yeah. And it's it's also interesting to think that you don't you know the the book. Is one of the weird aspects of it is no mention of any of the patriarchs, no mention of the covenants. Um, there's not really any explicit teaching about God, though there is teaching about God in here. Um, it's not like other books of the Bible. Uh, but there's no mention of the Messiah, no promises coming like that or anything like that. Um, so you don't have to have any of that Bible background, and you can read this book and understand it. Okay. And so the evangelistic bent of it is it shows you how pointless... The the main point of the book is life is empty and meaningless apart from God. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's well, read. I think that that's the point. Right. But of course, <laughs> every other commentator has a different point that, that they think it is about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Well, let's uh, let's pop it up on the screen and uh, we'll have you read it. Okay. Um, Ecclesiastes one one through eleven. But before you read it, I want to uh, I want you to tell us about the preacher. That that word is the Hebrew word koheleth, mm-hmm. but yeah. in the Greek, Greek is Ecclesiastes. Okay, the name of the book. The name of the book. Yeah, right. And Ecclesiastes comes from the word that people probably know more about. You know, churches name themselves this is the Greek word ecclesi- ecclesia mm-hmm. or the ecclesia, yeah, um, which is the church or the gathering. Okay. Um, or you could say assembly. So the word Ecclesiastes means one who addresses an assembly. Okay. And we call that a preacher. Okay. Which is what... So the book is is the, literally... The book is called The Preacher. The like Preacher. The Preacher. Yeah. Okay. Which, you know, I said, I thought about this, like, here's a book called The Preacher, yeah. and, and no preachers ever preach it. <laughs> that's, it's that's so right. weird, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's have you read it, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about your outline. All right. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. 
a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. And I breaked there. Uh, some people don't break till later in the chapter, but I just see it seems to be that there's a clear break because then he goes, "I, the preacher, have been king over you know Israel." So I'm like, "Oh, this is a good break here." Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, the ESV has verses two through eleven in, in a poetic yeah. form, um, mm-hmm. and then it has verse twelve in kind of a prose. Yeah. Um, so the style is is different. Um, okay, so uh, that's a real that's a real bummer. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it uh, it is going to be edifying as we go through it um, to understand this. Yeah, I I think so. What's important to remember too is like we we live as if Christ has come. He's he's died, and he has resurrected three days later, and he's coming again. So we have to read this as Christians. Right. Um, You know, for a long time. You couldn't read it as a Christian, so you had to wait till you get all the way to the very end. And I mean, that would be like, "Hey, let's all go jump off a bridge already." Um, but finally, at the end, we get some good, some some type of good news. Mm-hmm. But we already have the good news, so we have to read Ecclesiastes in light of that. Yeah, because we are Christians; mm-hmm. we are not Jews. Yeah, um, Christ has come, and He has uh, He sheds more light on this stuff. So that's what I aim to do as we go through Ecclesiastes, okay. is to preach it like a Christian. Right. Yeah, if you if you preach it in such a way that um, it could be preached in a synagogue or a, even a mosque, right. um, it it's no good to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to read it as Christians. Um, you said that what Solomon is doing here is that he's, uh, he's plunging us beneath the line of despair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What uh, what do you mean by that? Okay, so Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The God Who Is There. I think that's where this line of despair uh, comes from. And in that book, he says, um, everyone lives their life above this line of despair. So, you know, his, his, his deal is he wants to be an evangelist, an apologist. He wants to share the gospel and win people to Christ. But he says, before you can share the gospel with somebody and they're ready for the good news, you've got to break them out of this illusion they're living in. So pretend there's this line, and above the line, life has meaning, life has happiness, there's joy, there's actual real purpose. So the atheist and the agnostic, the secular materialist, even the person who believes there's such a thing as a god but lives as if he doesn't really exist, everyone lives above that line. Well, that above that line belongs to the Christian where life has real meaning, real purpose, there's real joy. So everyone like has to lie to themselves to live above the line. In reality, if God is not the most important reality in all of existence, um, you should become a nihilist or nihilist, however you want to say it. And then the you know life has no meaning, there is no purpose. Um, but nobody lives like that. Nobody can live like that. You know, everybody stops at red lights. That's what I always tell my kids. Ask your friends if they stop at red lights. If they try to say this some nonsense like life has no meaning, well, do they stop at red lights? Uh, yeah, they do. Because um, intrinsically, you know that's not a livable 
you know it's not livable. So you lie, you lie, you create these deals. So furniture shapers, says you got to plunge them below. You got to expose this how they're lying to themselves, and that way they're plunged b- below the line of despair. Then you're ready to hear mm. that there's something else. That's what Ecclesiastes does. Mm. Now I don't know if he had that in his mind or that's where he learned it, but Solomon def- definitely is doing it. Yeah, like you get you get that with it. Eleven things here. If I just would have stopped before. The conclusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be like, maybe there is no point in life, right? You know what I mean? Maybe an asteroid will hit us, and it'll be all be over with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, right? So that's what he's doing. Okay. All right. So your outline was there are four realities of life under the sun, mm-hmm. and um, so let's just walk through them. Yeah. So okay. life as it is actually experienced, as if. Um, you're gonna you're gonna become a secular materialist and live as if there's you know God God doesn't matter right. or there is even is there is there even a God yeah so the first is life is empty okay. under the sun all right and that's verses two through three mm-hmm. right um, so let's talk about this word vanity um, because it's all over the place right. in this book mm-hmm. we need to understand what it means um, vanity. What yeah. uh, vanity of vanities? Vanity, actually, vanities. it's a, a superlative, right? Yeah, it's like super vanity. Yeah. Um, so what what does he mean by vanity? Well, am I often thinking because it's very possible that vanity today has the nuance of something like you're proud of your looks to be vain, right? To be vain is to to um, yeah. Focus on your looks. Yeah, that's not. So that's being, not what he's talking about. Prideful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we. Had, yeah. That, that. So that's what we need to. We need to make that clear. This. This is not what he's mm-hmm. talking about. Right. Vanity of uh, vanity. So vanity. The word uh, doesn't always mean the same thing in Ecclesiastes, uh, because the word, like a lot of words, has a range of meanings. And there's nuance in the word, uh, so context is going to dictate, but. The word vanity means something like a breath, uh, breath or wind, or meaningless or absurd or futile or empty. And so, as you encounter it in different scenarios, he'll use the word vain, vanity for vanity, but it's not always going to exactly mean the same thing. So the the three main ways that he uses it is uh, fleetingness. Number one, fleetingness. That's like vapor like. Like mm-hmm. there's the wind aspect of it. That. Uh, it's impermanence, right? It's it's not lasting. Meaninglessness is one, um, and then the third is incomprehensible. And I mean, it's vain is still used. It still has that that meaning. Um, right. If you do something in vain, right? Um, it's it's for no purpose. For it's, no it's purpose. For, yeah. for emptiness. Yeah. Um, that it's it's meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it still it still carries that yeah. uh, it still carries mm-hmm. that meaning. We just it's not one of those words that we use very often. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So fleetingness or impermanence, meaninglessness, yeah. incomprehensible. So that that that's exactly what your first point is that life is empty. Life's empty. It's empty. It's it's, it's, it's vain. Yeah. Right. It's uh, life is super empty. Okay. <laughs> like, right. It's a vanity of vanities. All is vanity, vanity, vanities. He says. Yeah. It yeah he, times. Sa- he says it five times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just in that verse. Yeah. Um. It's if uh, if a biblical author repeats a word mm-hmm. several times, he's trying to make his point. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um. So he says it five times in one verse. I think he's trying to 
express himself and, and try to get the point. He across. gets right to the point. Right. So he's like, I'm going to tell you the point right up front, and then I'll just elaborate on it. Okay. That your life is meaningless. Yeah. We're off to a good start. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and these two verses, they really summarize the entire book. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Yeah. Um, vanity of vanities, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's it. So we've got our yeah. phrase, under the sun. That, that's our first, the first use of it. Um, in the book, uh-huh. uh, you you uh, define some terms for us. Yeah, um, what does a man gain uh-huh. uh, by all the toil? So yeah, gain he's... and toil are two prominent words that right. you uh, you took some time to define. Yeah, because you're right. the The theme is here. It's mm-hmm. here in two and three. So gain, we think because we're Westerners that that's you know I've got more money than I need. Yeah. I've got I've worked. I got paid paid the bills, got the food, um, and I've got extra money left over. That's gain. And if I save up enough of that gain, then I've got a lot of money. Things are going pretty good. So you could you could toil and get some gain. That's not really what it means. All right, coming off of verse 2 helps us to understand when he has just said that life is meaningless, what he means is something like your soul is on a quest to find gain for itself, to find that which would make it not vain, to make it not empty. So you're looking for that which could, for your person, for your soul, give it gain, could fill up that which was lacking in you. That's the idea of gain. Um, Under the sun, the soul is scavenging about east of the Garden of Eden, looking for that which might satisfy it and give it real meaning and fill up its emptiness. And so he's asking it in this question, what does a man gain okay. for all his toil under the sun? Yeah, I was trying to see if uh, if it's the same word that Jesus uses in the New Testament, um, what does a man gain? Um, what does it profit a man if he gains right. the whole world? Gains the whole world um, and loses, and, his, and loses soul. his soul. Uh, doesn't look like it's the same word, but it is the so same it's idea. The same ideas, it's the yeah. same idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because what does what does it profit a man if he mm-hmm. gains if he if he looks for satisfaction in the world, mm-hmm. but he he loses his soul. Yeah, and that's really what we're going to get into next week because he goes on a quest. He's like, oh, let me take you on a journey. Okay, and. What we talk about here in the intro, he's going to like lay out categories. Mm-hmm. Like, there's certain categories that people have always gone down for this quest, and he right. says, "I went down them. Mm-hmm. Let me take you with me, so you don't have to." Yeah. Um, and it's it's really uh, it's really interesting. Okay. So imagine having all the money in the world and all the power in the world to be able to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. Yeah. That's what we'll see. So he he's toiling, toiling, toiling under the sun. Yeah, and he doesn't gain anything. Yeah, toil, because everything's van- everything's vanity. Everything's yeah. empty. Toil, toil's like work, but you know, with suffering involved. Right. It's pre-fall, or it's it's not pre-fall work. Pre-fall work, I don't think was toil. Yeah. Toil's what happens after the fall. Right. Uh, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work the earth. But it's not just maybe just work. It's any activity to which you are seeking and striving to find something mm-hmm. that's going to fill up this emptiness. Right. So it's a rhetorical question. Yeah. In light of verse 2, verse 3 is a rhetorical question, and the answer is a man gains nothing. Mm. Right. And he'll (laughs) repeatedly tell us this. And he'll find nothing. Through the book, right? Okay, so life is empty. Mm -hmm. 
the second reality is that life under the sun is repetitive and weary. Yeah. The key verse here is verse 8. Uh, everything is full of weariness. Um, but to, to emphasize what he's just said in 2 and 3, 4 through 11, he gives, he kind of takes you on this, uh, let, me, let me show you things from the created order in creation that are just always nonstop repetition, no matter what man does, they cannot alter these realities. Um, the sun is going to go up and down. Or first, no, sorry, first the generations. The generation of men, there's life, there's birth, there's life, there's death. A generation comes, a generation goes. But the earth's permanent, right? So you're impermanence, but it's on this repetition. There's a generation born, generation dies. Generation born, generation dies. And uh, the earth remains. Then he gives the... Um, after that, he moves on to the uh, the sun, Sun goes up, sun goes down. Sun goes up, sun goes down. Right? You look at the same sun he looked at. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, you know, it just goes back forever, and mm-hmm. it'll go on forever. Sun goes up, sun goes down. There's, it never changes. The wind, the wind blows, um, comes back around from where it went, and it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. There, and then there's the water cycles. The streams flow into rivers. Rivers flow into the sea. The sea isn't full somehow and the streams you know the sor- the water goes back to the source of the streams and then here we go again we're just continuing on again in this endless repetition yeah and i think really anybody can identify with there is a type of grind to the world's repetition that does make you weary and tired i think most people can identify with that you know i use the illustration of the guy who gets up for pt in the morning but it's you know that's an illustration that from my own experience. But everybody's everybody's got theirs. You know, you fall out of bed at five o'clock in the morning, put on your uniform, you stare at yourself in the mirror, half asleep, and you got to shave. And you shave, and you think, here we go again. You know, it's uh, thirty-five degrees outside, the wind's blowing, and I got to go to formation, and then it'll be there the next morning and the next. Um, for me also. <laughs> I, Someone else has to be identified with this. There's just never-ending dishes to be done. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And everybody hates doing dishes. I mean, unless, I mean, if you're really weird, maybe you like dishes, you can come over to my house. There's extra to be done. But someone make dinner, and, you know, your wife cooks, comes home, she cooks dinner, and it's awesome dinner, and then there's dishes to be done. Right. Nobody wants to do them. But there'll be more dishes tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So don't worry. You get to do it all over again. Yeah. Um, yeah, we... <laughs> We all understand this. I mean, if you work a eight to five job throughout the week, you wake up, you go to work, you come home, go to sleep, wake up, go to work again, and it's just the it's just the cycle. Even if you like your job, and it still is repetitive, and people still they still gripe about it. Like they still understand the the just the repetitive weariness of it all. It's. It's all the same, uh-huh. and it just is the same over and over and over again. You make the same drive to and from work. Uh-huh. We we all understand it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And like I said, even if you enjoy your job, and I mean, I I like being at home and having dinner and eating, but mm-hmm. still, like the stuff that just though it just wears it just can wear you down. <laughs> Mowing your yard. 
Yeah. The, yeah. the gra- well, What are we doing this for? Right. The grass just grows. <laughs> we grow mow it and it grows again. Uh-huh. And it's just yeah. the weariness of it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he has a good way of just, you know, bringing this out that there's just a weariness to the world. Then he, he gives kind of uh, some, some, some pictures from the eye, like the eye, your eye's never satisfied with seeing, and you might think, well, that's silly, but it's a good illustration. Mm-hmm. You never go, ah, I've seen enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shut them off. I've yeah. seen it all. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, no, you're going to keep hearing. Same thing, same, keep seeing, you're going to keep hearing, you're never going to be tired of hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the this endless repetition. This, yeah. this redundancy uh, is part of the reminder that the, there is a meaningless to all of this. I think our I think our culture nowadays is feeling this a lot more than maybe our grandparents' generation. Mm-hmm. Though it's it's not maybe it's more pronounced um, because you see people hopping between jobs all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are always they get a job, they've got it for a couple of years, and then they're looking for something mm-hmm. new. Our grandparents. They got a job and they just stuck it out for, you know, 40, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, they, they weren't just hopping around. Right. They, they planted themselves in one, one town, one job, and that's just where they lived their life. It's true. Whereas our generation and the younger generations, they're just always hopping around. They're always looking for something Mm -hmm. because they're, they're looking for something to satisfy them. That's not going to satisfy them. Mm-hmm. Their their job is not going to satisfy them. Where they live is not going to satisfy them, because it's it you you can go to a different job, and the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Yeah. <laughs> the the next job is all it's going to be the one it's always, that it's going to be the one that. And then you get to that place me. and you realize, yeah. oh, it's just the same stuff. It's oh, there's just, a boss. There's a boss here too. That right. <laughs> I've, I've got coworkers that still are annoying. Yeah, I remember when I when I went out to. Uh, California to LA to go to uh, to work on my on my doctoral degree how exciting it was at first yeah so exciting to be right. in, to be in Southern California how long did that the last we- before it wore the weather <laughs> it was super off. nice well it lasted maybe like a couple of trips and then I remember coming back on like the third trip mm-hmm. and even at first you're like oh how this is, this is super awesome like I'm gonna go. I'm gonna learn from John MacArthur. I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn from Sinclair Ferguson, like like all these guys that you love, mm-hmm. Steve Lawson. By the third trip out, I'm like, yeah, that's that's him. <laughs> the celebrity yeah, like, status kind of hey, wears uh, wears off. Yeah, yeah. You're like, hey, uh, can uh, hang around and talk to him after? No, uh, because the traffic is insane, and I want to get home before nine o'clock at night. So uh-huh. I'm leaving. Yeah, and then you're stuck in traffic, and you're like, uh, "I wouldn't live here if somebody paid me <laughs> like, yeah, four hundred thousand dollars a year." Right. I'd still be like, "Nah, um, no." But it, see, but see, if you've never gone there, yeah. you think, "Oh man, that that place is sweet." Yeah, the weather is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, the wind doesn't feel like a hair dryer. Um, the culture there, you know, it's all exciting. And yeah, you've got people living elsewhere that want to live in LA, and you've got people in LA that want to live elsewhere. And right. If you're if you're looking for, um, you know, the state you live in to satisfy you and and give you deep satisfaction, gain, it's, not, happen, it's not going to happen, right? Yeah, and this is what this repetitive cycle, this this stuff, 
exposes to you. It, it's teaching you something. Yeah. And uh, what it what it's showing you is that you can't search for for an escape from the futility of it all mm-hmm. because the created order itself has been subjected to the same mm-hmm. futility that you are. Yeah. Um, we're living post-Genesis 3. The world is cursed just like man has been cursed after right. the fall. And Paul tells us this in Romans, that the earth has been subjected to futility. And it too is eagerly longing the resurrection, the return of Christ, so that it can be set free from this bondage that it's been... Uh, it's it's in bondage and it's looking to be set free. So the repetitive nature and the grind of the world and even the cycles of, the, of what's going on in the world and in nature... Uh, tell you, don't look for gain here. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find it. Right. Even if you didn't have dishes piling up every day, it'd still be something mm-hmm. that was still going to be repetitive and, and toilsome and, and weary. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I like how you how you brought that to to how all of creation has been subjected to futility. And so... We're, well, we're we're caught we're 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 stuck we can't you can't escape it in under the sun this is this is the way that life is going to be and yeah. even if you have you know Elon Musk um fortune you're still going to be caught up in the the weariness of it all and what's important about i think this nature aspect of it the cycles that are brought up is in the world don't look for gain here in the world is it this is one of the places people always go with their idols. Yeah. They used to worship the sun. Well, today it's just environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I am I am like a soldier for environmentalism and I'm going to save the environment. Yeah. That gives my life real meaning and real purpose. Well, you know what? The earth is in these cycles of things that it cannot escape from and a solar flare could scorch the earth and and then, then what? Like you've <laughs> yeah. committed your whole life to this, and right. poof, you know, uh, all our technology's gone, and all the farms are burned up. Yeah, like the world is lost, just like you are, mm-hmm. and it's not going to save you. Yeah. All right, so life is empty. It's getting more positive as life we go. Is, life is repetitive and <laughs> weary. <laughs> right. Nothing is new under the sun. Yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. Okay, so you brought up the, that this has an apologetic um, importance also, yeah. because this is uh, a passage that's used against Scripture. Right. Um, because people will say this is so obviously just on its face a nonsense statement. Even if you are a Christian and you're believing and you're trying to understand Ecclesiastes, a passage like this can be a, it can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing new under the sun, and we look and we're like, Solomon didn't have this, right? He didn't have, right. Yeah, he didn't have a cell phone. So there's, he I mean, make... he's he he wasn't talking in the microphones, recording a podcast, right? Right. Probably because he was wise. He was wiser than yeah. uh, <laughs> he was wise enough to know not to do it. <laughs> But that, so, what does it mean? There's nothing. There's nothing new under the sun when we can look around and obviously there is newness. Right. There are new things. There's new technology everywhere. Right. Um. So yeah, we we say first off, we say okay, I don't believe there are contradictions in the Bible. Okay, this one verse isn't going to make me throw my Christianity away. And if the college professor points this out and laughs and at me in front of the whole class. I'm not going to abandon Christianity. I'm going to say, you know what, I don't understand that yet, but I'm going to dig in. Well, you don't have to dig far, because if you just stay in chapter 1, right, the theme of chapter 1 is 
life is empty and meaningless. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the theme. So the idea of there is nothing new under the sun. What has been done, you know, is what has been done before, and there's nothing new. And what's going to be done has all already been done before. The idea is there's not coming something in the future that hasn't already been tried that's going to give your life meaning. That's the idea. Okay. And I think it's to, like I said, there's there are optimists out there that are, okay, like there's something coming one day. Yeah. But like there's going to be you that know, thing you, one day that actually gives me real feeling. Right. And I think that you see that in, well, I mean, just talking about phones, you remember when a new iPhone would drop and people would camp out. Oh, yeah. At Apple, uh-huh. at Apple stores to be the first one to get this new iPhone. Uh-huh. Why? Why did they do that? Well, they're trying. They're trying to. It, it excites them. It gives them some type of temporary feeling of fullness. Yeah, it escape. It helps them escape the emptiness. Yeah, it's kind of like that break in the repetitive. Temporarily, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you gave some. You gave some great examples of of new things that are not really new. Right. I mean, just think about the things that we think are new. Right. Mm-hmm. We think. Oh, we're we're going to colonize Mars. Um, of course, new things, new technology has enabled that. Um, we're going to explore the cosmos. This Elon Musk thinks this is the purpose of humanity to become an inter like an interstellar species to colonize other planets. Um, that that doesn't give your life any fullness or meaning because we've always been explorers. We've always colonized. All we're doing now is technology is giving us the capacity to do it bigger. Mm-hmm. But it's not new. Right. Right? There's nothing new about thinking that if we're explorers, that'll make our life have purpose. Yeah. Nothing new about that. Right. Um, so at one time, people made boats, and they were like, look at this boat. <laughs> we can explore that place where we don't know if there's anything beyond the sea. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, or riches, mm-hmm. you know, people would accumulate little gold pieces back in the day, and they'd accumulate riches, and then it was dollar bills, and now it's Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, uh, now it's now it's cryptocurrency. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Entertainment. So he's not talking like, about he's not talking about new inventions, right? That's not that's not what he's trying to get at. Right. He's talking about the things that man pursues mm-hmm. that he thinks is going to give him gain that right. he toils at. Right. It's all it's all the same. There's mm-hmm. nothing there's nothing new for us there's in, n- in that regard. We're, it's, it's it, all been we, tried. May, we may pursue it in different ways than yeah. past generations, but we're still looking for the same things. And you're doing it in the same ways. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing it. There's, there's, there are main categories, as we'll see, which we'll get into next week. You can, and that's kind of what he does: is he gives main categories. Yeah. Like these are the ways people pursue gain under the sun, and it can't be found. Yeah. Um, but all, but so don't take the verse as there's nothing new under the sun. He's not talking about technology. He's talking about is there coming something in the future, something that someone hasn't tried yet, mm-hmm. some event, something, some way of pursuing meaning. He's saying it's, it's not coming. Mm-hmm. There's nothing new coming. Uh, so if you're an optimist and you're holding out, mm. uh, there's not coming that thing. Yeah. That's the idea of it. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, number four, life is a vapor. Mm-hmm. Life is a vapor under the sun. So um, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes one, uh, one eleven. There's a word here that's translated as things, that is better maybe translated as people because I think if you're just going to take it in the literal Hebrew, the word things isn't there. It, but we don't really read that way, right? There's there's no remembrance of the former. Mm. That's kind of what it would say. Yeah. Um, the people people is uh, captured in several English translations. Uh, there may even be a note in the ESV that it probably is. There's a little letter, and it'll say uh, probably means or maybe means people. Mm-hmm. But I think it means people because there's a there's a, a chiasm here. Okay. Like. That's not super important to know, but it is helpful in, in, in understanding. This verse seems to link with verse 4. Okay. A generation comes and a generation goes. And then he comes to verse 11. There is no remembrance of former people, nor will there be any remembrance of latter people yet to be right among those who come after. And you can kind of pick up on that among that phrase, among those who come after. Um, so your life is a vapor, and the idea is you're going to die and no one's going to remember you. Yeah. <laughs> so the one thing people, and I kind of, as I was thinking through this, when it finally hit me, I was like, man, this is like the last nail in the coffin, because what people might would think, okay, there's nothing I could really do, maybe it would give my life meaning in this life, but what I could do is I can leave a legacy behind, and I'll be remembered, and that's something. I can do a lot of good for the world, I can leave a legacy behind, and that's that's something. Yeah. And he says you can't. There's no legacy to leave. <laughs> like people are gonna re- people are gonna remember you when you die. Yeah, everybody's already been forgotten. Those who are gonna be born in the future are gonna be forgotten too. And that's a really that's a really hard that's a really hard idea to to accept. Um, you you see it you see it today. Mm-hmm. People want to be remembered. Mm-hmm. They they want they want to matter. Um, but like you brought up, like how many of us know the names of our great great grandparents no we don't and there are family members <laughs> right yeah like we don't we don't know them um even if you can do you know some research and find out who they were and some facts about them you don't you don't know, know them and you don't rem- you don't remember them right you can research them and you gave you gave the example of of julius caesar yeah this I tried to bring up, like, what's the one thing somebody could say, well, this person's remembered. Right. He's the most famous man maybe ever to live. Yeah. Julius Caesar. And you can, I mean, pick somebody. Yeah. Pick somebody in American history that is super famous, Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't really know him. Mm-hmm. We know about him. Yeah. Um, we can, we can you know, Google him and, and research him and, and, you know, write write papers, people write books on him. But is he known? Right. Is he known? Um, you know, family members may remember him if they were close to him, but right. Like and we're talking what? Um sixty years? Yeah. Yeah. In another sixty years, no one will remember In him. Another, no one will remember him, yeah. Right. No uh, one remembers Julius Caesar. And so if that's if that's the case for these, you know, these mega these mega famous guys. Mm-hmm. What's that going to mean for for us? Yeah, yeah. No one will remember. Like so, someone's going to stumble upon this podcast on YouTube, you know, fifty years from now. Who are these yahoos? Yeah, 
you know, no one's going to remember. No one's going to remember. Our kids will remember us. Our grandkids, if if we live long enough, our grandkids will know us. But our their children, our great great grandchildren, they um they won't they won't remember us. Mm-hmm. They won't even know our names. Right. Yeah. So yeah, there's you can't look to that mm-hmm. to give your life meaning. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like uh, your life's like a sandcastle. Like I said, Julius Caesar built the most intricate sandcastle ever, his empire, but it all gets washed away. Yeah. The earth continues on. The tide's coming in, the waves are coming in, and it's getting washed away. Right. And so you you literally will be forgotten when you die. <laughs> you like that? It's very encouraging, right, George? Yeah, so life is empty. It's repetitive and weary. It, there's nothing new under the sun. Life is a vapor. Your life's a vapor. I mean, this is this is taken from the New Testament, James. This is how James says it. Yeah. You're like somebody's exhalation. Mm. Yeah. And this is the point where you uh you say every head bowed, yeah, right. every eye closed. See you next week. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, see you next week. So this is I mean, this is a real bummer. Um I mean, you can see how this would I mean, if you just leave it here, right? You're you're just going to be left with with what's the point of of even going on? I mean, right. If we if like you said, no one no one lives this way Nobody like consistently, this way. right? Can't um, because the if you just take this and just stop there, you might as well just go and commit suicide, right? Because it's all absurd. Yeah. It's it's all meaningless. Yeah. Like I said, it doesn't matter if the sun explodes <laughs> right. and we all die yeah. right now. It, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Or if we lived for another 10,000 years and and we did colonize Mars, mm-hmm. it wouldn't matter then either. Yeah. Because there's no point to any of it. Right. But that's not Solomon's point. Solomon's point is not to get people to read it and go away and, and dress all in black and, yeah. you know, just wait to die. Um, what, why, why are, what do we do with this? What do we do with these verses that are just, just piling on the, the absurdity of, of life and existence? What do we do with this? It's, it's meant to make you look beyond the world, beyond the, beyond the horizontal realm to say, there's got to be more to life than this. And so you look vertically, Mm. you have to look to God. That's the idea. Now you'd have to drudge your way through all the way to the end, uh, to get there and he'll, he'll, you know, tell you all the different ways and things you could try, but, you know, we have to take a break. So um, there's nothing new under the sun, and so what I just said was uh, there was one time mm. when there was something new under the sun. Yeah. And I think it fits perfectly because uh, if you you have to look beyond this horizontal plane, and then you find that the one time there was something new under the sun is when this other plane of existence, God's plane, invaded our realm. So God did something about the emptiness, the cycle of drudgery, uh, us never being able to, to fill it, the futility of the entire created order post-Genesis 3, that the world is all caught in this endless cycle of meaninglessness, that God invaded this world, and he, God was born in the flesh. Like, right. God became a man. Born of a virgin, fully he was fully God, fully man. He was 
the the theological term. He's truly God. He's and truly man. Um, that's the one time there was something new under the sun east of Eden. Mm. That's it. That's the new thing. Right. Um, that incarnation, the incarnation of Christ, and this is the this is the center point of the new covenant, which God does promise in the Old Testament. We get even the word new, new the new covenant, um, gets at this that Christ is the beginning of this new, as we'll see, this of what God is doing, the newness of what God is doing in the world. Um, he came to the world, lived the perfect life that none of us could live as a man, just like we are, and therefore as one who satisfied the law perfectly in our place, he's sinless, he becomes a sin sacrifice for sinners, taking upon himself the curse of the law dying on a Roman cross, bearing the sins of all of his people, not the, his own sins. He's crucified, and he actually dies. Um, but that's not it. They put him in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, but three days later he rises from the dead, and he defeats death. And so now the cycle of a generation comes, a generation goes, is broken. So one time it was broken, because Christ lived, Christ died, but Christ rose from the dead. Right. And in his conquering over death, that's what he offers to us. He offers us a new life, too. He offers us a new birth. And this is interesting to think about. Like, you're born into the world. You're born into the world and the cycle of suffering and pain and emptiness. And to escape that, nothing here can escape, help you escape it. You must be born from above. And this is exactly what Jesus tells us in John 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the birth. The new birth is the birth from above. Mm. It's birth given to you by God. And so then you're, you then become a partaker of what Christ has done, and you break away from this um, curse of emptiness. And in this new birth, you get a new life. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. And coming with that comes a new heart, new desires, uh, new passions, new purpose, new everything, um, new gain. You can find gain under the sun. The gain is Christ. And so your life has real meaning and real purpose. And then ultimately Christ brings in a new creation. This is how the Bible ends. That this desert wasteland east of Eden isn't doesn't go on forever. Um, Revelation twenty one five says, "He who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new." And just prior to that, we read about it. So what we read about there in the new creation in twenty one is this place that He creates, this holy city, this new Jerusalem, where the dwelling of God is with man is like Eden restored. There's no crying. There's no pain. There's no death anymore. Um, no, nor mourning. The former things have passed away. The vanity of vanities is passed away, is gone, because all things have been made new, mm. and we've returned back to the garden paradise with God. Yeah. I uh, I <clears throat> I saw a connection with what uh, Paul says at the end of First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Um, he's talking about the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And he says, based on what Christ has done in the resurrection and what that's going to mean for us when we're raised, is he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not 
in, in vain. vain. Right. Um, so it it makes me think, you know, we we still are going to be under the sun. Mm-hmm. We're still going to be experiencing that rep- that repetitiveness and that weariness. Um, but we can know when you get up and you go to work and you work and you come home and you go to sleep and then you get up and you go to work. And if you're if you're working for the glory of God, your labor is not in vain. Yeah, it's not empty. Mm-hmm. Even now, you don't have to wait for the for the you don't have to wait for the new heavens and new earth for it to for your life to matter. Right. Um, because of the resurrection, Paul's saying your life now does matter. Mm-hmm. There there is meaning to it, but it's not. You can't you can't find meaning apart from Christ and His death and resurrection. Yeah, that's right. Um, but if you if you are trusting in Christ, then you can know that your life does have meaning. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. That that was a little preview of what's coming next week, George. Okay, that you all just right. gave. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so how how are you? Um, so th- I know that wisdom literature, the breaks are not always super apparent. No. Um, do you have? Uh, how give me kind of some insight into how you're you're going about your prep. So you you had a book, I can't remember what it's called, it's in there. It's got pretty good, pretty very detailed kind of structure of it. The literary structure yeah. of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh Cindy Gradonis has an outline, which I think his outline is the best. Okay. And he'll try to give um Is that uh preach, preaching Christ from Ecclesiastes? Mm-hmm. And that? I'm not an expert in Hebrew. So yeah, and he's like the one guy I could found could find who actually tried to really understand why these breaks make mm, the most sense. Okay. Um, and he and he even tell you in the beginning of it, he said, hopefully, you know what I'm doing, because like I said, numerous uh, people will say there is no outline to Ecclesiastes. Right. He'll say, well, if you're going to try to preach it, you got to have something. Yeah. So he he gives reasons why. Like I mean, ob- here's one obvious one. Um, why did we break right here? Well, the ESV breaks right here, um, but there's a clear there's a clear difference in the language. Okay. He then shifts. I, the preacher, mm. he's telling you like his personal experience now. Right. So there's a clear break. Okay. Right. So then you come there and you think, okay, well, where do I stop now? Yeah. Well, one through the end of chapter two seems to be really one thing that mm. he's talking about. Okay. It's his quest. So it's a longer portion. But it seems to all go together because in chapter three he gets into this discussion of time. Okay. The theme changes. Okay. So there's a time for everything, a time for this, a time for that. Well, that will eventually end, and he'll begin to tell you about. Um, there's a section on like God where he shifts his focus more toward God. Mm-hmm. So I try to identify like the more of the themes. Because you can't you can't preach through this book like line by line like you might for Romans or Galatians. Right, you can't do it. You got to take the themes as uh-huh. they come. Right, and so the what you've got to do is to your best of your ability find where the theme begins and where the theme ends. Mm. And sometimes it's not super clear because they'll kind of like he'll kind of just like smush it into the next theme. Right, <laughs> but you just got to pick a break somewhere. Yeah, that's what I had to do with Hebrews. Right, that's. You, you come to that middle section of the book and it all just fits together and you're mm-hmm. like, well, I got to stop somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to, I'm just going to pick one. I'm just going to pick a place to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it just becomes a matter of practicality for preaching, for uh-huh. preaching the text. Right. <laughs> for how you could best present it. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So. 
All right. Well, uh, anything else? No. Hopefully, uh, people aren't depressed afterward. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. The idea is to make you to look to Christ repeatedly. So right. that's kind of what I'm going to try to do is to say, all right, here's this. Now, how does this fit to Christ? Mm-hmm. How could how should we read this now? Right. Because Christ is real and He's alive right. and He's alive. So. So he wouldn't have um, he wouldn't have experienced life this way, right? Right, because he did everything for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't be he wouldn't be caught up in the emptiness of it, right? right? Well, uh, you talking about Christ? Yeah, yeah. So Christ didn't. Well, and this is which what, what <coughs> should become apparent. We're talking about the Son of David, but we're reading this and preaching this in light of. David's right. gr- greater son right. that has come. Uh-huh. Solomon went on a journey into darkness mm-hmm. so that we don't have to go. Yeah. Um, now, he doesn't stay there, as, as we'll see. He There's light at the end of the tunnel, even for him. Yeah. But he goes on a real... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you would call it. What, what do you call it? He goes on a real Charlie Sheen cocaine-induced... <laughs> um, Pleasure seeking. I didn't. I did not see that coming, Jay. <laughs> Pleasure seeking journey okay. and comes out the other end alive. I'm not sure Charlie Sheen will survive, yeah. but uh, Solomon survived. So uh, Charlie yeah. Sheen passed. Someone passed Ecclesiastes over to him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, <laughs> with that being said. <laughs> We always know how to shut this thing down, don't we, Jay? (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us uh, today for our uh, Text Driven Tuesday. We are back, and we're trying to hit that groove. Uh, so uh, hopefully this has been beneficial as we've started the book of Ecclesiastes um, go back and read it uh, read this section and, and think about uh, how Jay has uh, has broken down this passage and what it means in light of the, uh, the life, death, resurrection and glorification of Christ um, we'll be back uh, Friday for Free For All Friday uh, hope that you will join us and uh, if you uh, found this beneficial Please like, share, subscribe, and uh, we will see you next time.